All right, so grab your Bible. Make sure you got a bulletin. If you need coffee, there's still some back there, I believe. And uh, here we go. Now, I want to let you know that this sermon is based upon um, some perspectives outlined in the Scripture. And a fancy word we use for understanding God or the study of God is theology. And it's just a fancy word to say uh, the study of God. And uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of theologians and speakers and pastors and non-pastors and people have written books and books and volumes and, and, pers- and different things about what we're going to talk about today. And I'm going to do that in about 20 minutes. 25 maybe. So it's going to be very condensed, but it's also going to be, uh, I'd like it to come from a, a ground understanding um, so that we're all on the same page. Um, we don't have to have the exact same theological perspective, you and I, uh, you and you. And we don't have to have the exact same um, everything, but let's start with this. Uh, two premises, ready? There is a God, and he is articulated in the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if you're with me so far, please say amen. Okay, that's a great start. I told you we're going to use the word amen today. That's about it. So, now that we have those two understandings, let's get a little deeper. You, in your individual life, not you as a family, but you as an individual, you you can find yourself in one of these three camps. We're going to be talking about three camps today. In the first camp, you've never, ever surrendered to God. Camp number two, You've surrendered to God at one point in your life, but you haven't surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And if you don't know what that means, you're probably in camp two. And the third one is living a life full surrender, of total surrender. Now, just a little mental checklist. Where would you place yourself? Camp one, camp two, camp three. Don't answer. Think about it. I'm going to ask this question later in the sermon. But I think what I'm going to try to do is is draw a line between those camps, set the parameters, and so you can know for sure where you are, and hopefully the Holy Spirit will do his thing of showing up and moving us from camp one to camp two, or from camp two to camp three, or from camp three, just uh, an inhibited camp three. That makes sense, right? That camp of total and full surrender. Okay, so surrender. Webster defines surrender as uh, to, get, to give up or, or to hand over or to lose, uh, you know, like in a war or to abandon oneself entirely to. Um, what it looks like is like this. If, not yet, if, if I were to say, hey, can I have a volunteer, what would you do? <laughs> I have no volunteers. I have two kid volunteers. Thanks, kids, for being awake. Parents, you got to step it up. Okay. I need a volunteer. Okay, I have like three more. Okay, thank you, Dave. All right, so you raise your hand, yeah? So volunteering is like, hey, I'm, I'm here, but hold on. Where's my phone? Let me, let me. I, yeah, I can volunteer. But if I, if, if you, if I was a police officer of sorts, and I would say, surrender, what would you do? Two hands, Yeah. So you don't have phone, uh, a hand for your phone or your gun or, your, or something else. When you surrender, you've got both hands up, right? That's what it, that's what it looks like. But uh, this is what surrender feels like. 
did it. Uh, is that so terrible? Surrender. You mean wish to surrender to me? Very well, I accept. I give you full marks for bravery. Don't make yourself a fool. Ah, but how will you capture us? We know the secrets of the fire swamp. We can live there quite happily for some time, so whenever you feel like dying, feel free to visit. I tell you once again, surrender. Will not happen. For the last time, surrender! Death first! So that's kind of what surrender feels like to us, especially in America, where, where surrender is like last resort, or somebody's pressuring you, and you've got to surrender because you have no other choice. But the picture of surrender we're talking about, uh, as Webster defined, is, is abandoning oneself entirely to. And, it's, and God is the one asking us to surrender, but not at gunpoint or bow and arrow point. He's asking for our surrender, but he compels us to a better life, not because we're at the end of our ropes and that's where we have to surrender. Basically, we just have to get out of the way and let God do his thing. So, we're gonna, if we are going to surrender to God, we are going to be in one of these three camps. To, that you've never surrendered to God at all, at never, no point in your life. At one point you surrender to God, but not to the Holy Spirit. And three is living a life full of surrender. Where that, that is your life's cry is to surrender to God and you do things God's way. And, um, and I'm not saying that you're perfect, but... You, you know what God asks you to do, and you do it, plain and simple. So here's what Camp 1 looks like. Camp 1, if you're in, here's a little checklist. If you're not sure if you're going to heaven when you die, you're probably in Camp 1. If you find it hard to forgive because you've never felt forgiveness, you're probably in Camp 1. If you find it hard to love because you've never received love, if you find joy in whatever pleases yourself, um, and, and in some instances, not everybody, but in some, you're living a life of, of darkness or secrets or you're hiding things you don't want to be exposed. Or you're always watching your back because you've got guilt and shame and you hope that story doesn't come up. You're probably in camp one if that's, that's not going to fit everybody, um, what I just described, but that could be a, an indicator that you're in camp one. But here's what happens when you get to meet face to face with God and, and just to be honest, you're meeting face-to-face -to -face with God today because we're looking into the Bible and you're hearing the words and you're around Christians. If you're in Camp 1, God's going to talk to you right now. Not me, but God. And here's what he wants to say. In your mind, he wants you to believe in Jesus. And he wants you to accept his forgiveness. He wants you to accept his forgiveness. In your body, he wants you to turn away from sin, to stop it. And he wants you to get baptized. That's what, with your body... And in your spirit, he wants you to continue to attend church and to pray and read the Bible. So if you've never surrendered to God, this is what? Believe in Jesus, turn away from sin, and then keep attending church, praying and read the Bible. We're going to talk more about that in a little bit. But here's what Camp 2 looks like. And I'm going to bet that the majority of people in this room, in, in most churches and especially across America, that you're going to fit into this camp too. Here's what it looks like. 
at one point or another, you said to Jesus, uh, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me my sins. Um, and you know, you know Jesus personally in your heart. You, you have what we call a relationship with Jesus. You have experienced forgiveness, and you have experienced love because God has poured it to you. And you know that you have a home in heaven because when Jesus comes back, he's, the Bible says that he's going to prepare a place for us. And if you know that for a fact, you're in camp too, at least. And that also that this scripture applies to you, that 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So here's, here's, here's what the, is different from camp two people than camp one. Camp two people have recognized that what they're doing in life is sin. And they say, there's a punishment for that sin, and I should, um, the Bible says that the penalty for that is death, so I should die. But Jesus interceded, and Jesus died in my place. So I don't have to face that death. That I'm no longer a slave to sin, but Jesus took that sin for me. Now there is a camp three that is, includes this, but is more. It's, it's what Jesus described in John chapter 10 when he says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If you're in camp one, you probably might feel like you've been killed or destroyed or, or, or stolen from. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life. That's camp two. But have it to the fullest. That's camp three. There's a third camp. To have life, but have it to the fullest. And here's the problem in America. I'm speaking primarily, obviously, to you. I'm not speaking to any other country right now, or any other church, or any other room. So please take this personally, that when we try to live the Christian life in Camp 2, we try to do it on our own. We try to not sin, and then we get tired of trying to not sin, so we sin. Or we get, we, we're trying to do the right thing, and we, we try and try, and then at some point we're like, it's so much easier to sin. I'm going to sin. Maybe it's not even a conscious decision. Maybe it's just a, an old pattern that you got bit, back into. But here's the further problem. Jesus said that <laughs> Jesus said that we were going to do greater things that he, than he did. Can you imagine that? John 14 chapter, uh, chapter 14 verse 12 says, I tell you the truth. This is Jesus speaking. And in my Bible it's read John 14. John chapter 14. What color is this? That's red. That means that Jesus is speaking. If you don't have a red letter Bible, read before where it says Jesus answered and says in, in verse 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. Can we list any things that Jesus had been doing? Raising the dead, blind to see, lame to walk, uh, uh, physical ailments healed, uh, forgiving of sins, Telling a guy who can't walk to, to stand up and, and walk and forgive me sins. Jesus said, you will do these things. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Okay, so that creates a problem. Because when I look around, I don't see people raising other people from the dead. Or healing people. Or telling lame people to walk. I, I don't see that. Do we see that in the church anymore? Have we had any physical, many physical healings here where wheelchairs come and they walk out? We don't see that anymore. That's a problem because Jesus says he wants us to do the things that he did. And if we're going to be Christians, followers of Christ, and do what he did, and then do more, we're missing something. 
what is missing. I believe that we as a group have the Holy Spirit within us, because the Bible promises that, but his power is not coming out of us. Again, Camp 2 people, that's a problem. Because here's what our life looks like. How many of you were born? Excellent. Very good. How many of you went to school? Excellent. So then we take that schooling and we put that education to work. We get a job. We make money. We spend money. We may or may not start a family. Guess what? How many of you are going to die probably? Most likely. And that's the end of the book. Money, education, family, people, die. I just put your life in about seven words. There's something greater that's going to happen inside those few words. I'm asking the Holy Spirit today to shine his light in between that little space on how we're living our lives and so we can see that we're just surviving, but we were meant to thrive. And that can only happen in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, let me introduce you to the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about him as a, with that pronoun, a he, that he's masculine, that, that he was one of the, one of the trinity, um, and that he is God. But let me talk to you about, um, anyone heard of Dr. Charles Stanley? He also has a son named Andy Stanley, who was a, um, he's a preacher, and he has this, uh, his church. And here's what Dr. Charles Stanley says. When I was growing up, the Holy Spirit was always referred to as the Holy Ghost. He didn't put the drop in the voice. I did that. As a child, I thought it sounded spooky. Not something I was really interested in knowing much about. I remember thinking, God's the Father and Jesus is the Son. I can relate to that because we have families like that, right? But what is the Holy Ghost? And who needs it? For a long time, I decided to settle on two out of the three. There was another reason I shied away from the Holy Spirit. I grew up in a church where he was never mentioned. My pastor didn't explain who he was or preach sermons about him. The Christians I knew who talked about him were strange. That I assumed getting involved with the Holy Ghost meant I have to be like them. I wanted no part of that. So I was content to worship the Father, pray to the Son, and leave the Holy Spirit for someone else to worry about. You might feel like that if you're a young person or a not as young person and know about this Holy Ghost, this Holy Spirit thing. And you hear about other denominations that do Holy Spirit things, and, and they're weird, so we're going to keep our, our distance from that. Let me tell you this, that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, that he does these things, that the Bible— and uh, again, all the theologians have spent books and books on this, but let me summarize— that the Holy Spirit convicts, that he illuminates uh, in our lives, that he teaches in us, he guides, he assures, he intercedes between us and the Father, he directs and he warns. He does these things. It sounds a lot like a relationship with Jesus, right? That means that the Holy Spirit would be in us and, uh, because we're Christians. Because Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit, we know that he is a true thing. The Holy Spirit isn't something made up. But Jesus talks about him. And I hope you've got your Bible, because for the next 10 minutes or so, we've got some scripture to look into, and I'm going to let the scripture speak for itself. Look in the book of John. Now, this John is in the New Testament. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and chapter 14. I'm going to skip around, but I'll give you uh, some cues as to where we're going. John chapter 14, and we're going to start in verse 15. Oh, you might want to get your highlighter or your pen too, just in case. Because these are, you're going to read this and we're going to, I'm going to fly over it and you'll be like, I'm going to have to read that again. Instead of reading it again today, like in, during the sermon, grab a pen, underline it. I have little brackets in mine. Then come back and you can study it on your own. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. This is Jesus speaking because the words are read. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor, capital C in my book, right? counselor, it's a person, to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, camp one. But you know him, camp two at least, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. So this comforter is spoken to, spoken about in our lives. Verse 25, all this I've spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Jump over to chapter 16, verse 7. Again, Jesus speaking. John 16, 7. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. So that's like prophesying even. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. So if Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you something, wouldn't you want it? Or could we be content to live this space without it. The truth is, we can be content without it, but we're missing out on what Jesus has for us. I resonate well with Paul when we turn back a couple books to the book of Romans. The book of Romans chapter 7. Paul is writing to the church in Rome, so we call the book Romans. Chapter 7, verse 21. Romans 7, 21. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Have you ever come across that, that situation? Wanting to do good, 
but then also being a slave to sin. Guilty as charged. Let's continue reading. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law has powerless, was powerless to do, in that it weakened, was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the sinful man, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sin, sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. That would be camp three. Those who live according to the sinful nature, camp one, have their mind set on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, camp three, have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of the man is sinful, is death. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. If you want a life of peace, be in camp three. The sinful mind is hostile to, to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. And the sheer reality is, if you cannot please God, if you are controlled by your sinful nature in camp one, your eternal destiny is hell. That's black and white of it. Verse nine. You, however, are controlled by the, not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. Yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raises Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Verse 12. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. We don't have to stay in camp one. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of, con of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, or more like Daddy, uh, that kind of a relationship. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we also may share in his glory. What that articulates to us is that we are God's children. And as God's children, we should act like God's children. Doing things that Jesus is saying. Doing things that Jesus is doing. Living like Jesus was. Reading the Bible to know what that looks like. Attending church so we know what that looks like. And letting our lives mirror that. Paul writes a little uh, book called Galatians. And guess what? It's to the church in Galatia. Galatians chapter 5. It's back about a couple of books. Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Let's start in verse 16. This is Paul telling the church. Who's the church here? Raise your hand. Excellent. You're awake. So I say, live by the Spirit, Galatians 5, 16, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now here, check this out. 
This is your mental checklist. In verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, driving, oh boy, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Oh boy, raise your hand if you're guilty. I'm joking. I don't need to know your sin to know that we are all sinners. The Bible tells us, and well, we can do that mental checklist. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, even when driving. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. All right, church, this is where it gets good. We now know what a sinful life looks like because we looked in the mirror this morning, yeah? But we also now know what the fruit of the Spirit looks like and how that should look. Now, those two things are at war. If you're in war, that's a good thing. Partially because the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, this is good, this is bad, and there's something that's between you and you need to fix it. If you don't know what that feels like, you're probably in camp one and you need your sins forgiven from the beginning and that God wants to call you into a relationship with him so you don't have to suffer in that, in that fear and guilt anymore. The last scripture I wanted to read over is Ephesians. So you're in Galatians, turn like one or two pages, you're in Ephesians and go to chapter four. Because this is what living a life filled with the Spirit total surrender would look like. Chapter 4, verse 17, and, and the heading to my Bible is living as children of light. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you, church, this is us, that you must no longer live as the, well, sinners do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God, which means death and hell, um, because they're of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Two more verses. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him according to, in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus through Pastor Rex. Wait, is that in your Bible or is that just... No? Okay. Through Pastor Ben? Okay, that's in there somewhere. You have heard about it. If you haven't heard of it before, you're hearing about it now. That you were taught the truth of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. That he wants us to have it. And while we have that Holy Spirit as a, as a comforter, when we become Christians, he wants us to have life and have it to the fullest. So after Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, he talks about him um, in that whole John chapter 14 and 15. Jesus talks about the, uh, Jesus being the vine and that we're the branches. He tells us how to stay connected to him like a branch to the vine. And if we do, we will bear fruit. <laughs> Church in America, and I just happen to be talking to you. We've been connected to the vine for far too long and have not been bearing fruit. We've been sinning and living in sin and you've been doing good works out of 
fleshly desire. Oh, I should give money to this person on the street. Or I, sh- I guess it's time to um, do something good so I can do something good. And we're doing it out of our, you know what? When we're tired of doing good, we just stop doing good. And that's because we're living a godly life in the flesh, doing fleshly desires. And when the flesh wears out, then we stop. The church in America mirrors the world more than the spirit because of the divorce rate. Good Christians are going to church one out of three weeks and call that regular. Let me tell you that you have to stay connected to the vine to do godly things and to bear fruit. Here's how you stay connected. You study the Bible. You use scripture memorization. You worship with your tithes and your talents. You sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. You attend church more regularly than than once a month or so, uh, that you continue praying. And here's the fruit that you will bear then, that people will know you're a Christian by your love. That's your personal testimony. That when they cut you off, you respond without a single finger, and but more with a smile. I don't know how that's going to happen, but that's the fruit that looks, that what it looks like in America, in our lives. You share your personal testimony with the people that you work with or your people you live with or your family. You start healing sick. You give sight to the blind. You help the lame walk. You feed the hungry. You clothe the naked. You care for the sick and the hurting. And you do what Jesus did and you raise the dead to life. That's the fruit that the church needs to be doing today. It's not for Old Testament and slash New Testament time. It's for our church today. And if the Holy Spirit works in the camp two Christians and converts them to the camp three people, the, the sick will, will be healed. And God will be doing his work through us. And I want to be one of those people he does work through. So in conclusion, if you surrender to God for the first time today, if this is the first time you have heard that Jesus loves you and he wants to forgive you of your sins and bring you to heaven, I invite you to go to the coffee table. If you're an elder or a leader here, Um, at some point we might make our way back to the coffee and you can fake get some coffee but here's what's going to happen if you've only heard of Jesus for the first time have never given your life to Jesus I invite you to go to the coffee table and meet with Pastor Rex or Landon or Elder and when we stand for this closing song that's up to you Camp 1 Camp 2 if you need to surrender to the Holy Spirit you know Jesus you you have a relationship with him but you haven't received uh, haven't surrendered to the Holy Spirit, let's let this song minister to you that we, we just learned today. Let that song minister to you as you pray and you sing. You may not know the words, so you can pray. If you know the words, sing. Camp three, people. If you are living in full surrender, I don't have to tell you what to do because the Holy Spirit's already doing his work. You don't need a pastor to say, hey, go do holy things. Hey, go do good things. You don't need that. Maybe the Holy Spirit is prompting you because we still have sin in our lives, even in Camp 3, that we need to ask or give forgiveness or we need to repent of sin. Maybe the Holy Spirit's prompting you to meet with somebody after the service or even right now during the song. Maybe something supernatural like raise the spiritually dead. Maybe somebody needs to hear about Jesus in your life. Maybe it's to pray during this song for the souls that are, um, that are going to join the other people back uh, in the coffee. I know that's a, a, big, a big task to ask Camp One people. But again, make it look like coffee. Talk to somebody really inconspicuous. I'm not going to point you out. Pray against any 
satanic spirit right now. Because the Holy, the, the Holy Spirit can speak, but so does Satan. He can say, that's not for you. You're fine. You're in camp too. Just glide on through to glory land and everything's fine. The truth is Jesus wants more for us, so everything's not fine. Either way, let us all take one more step closer to fully surrendering to God and his promised Holy Spirit right now. Let's pray. God, we surrender. Let's stand. God, we surrender to you. Maybe we're in camp one and we need to surrender to you for the first time. God, maybe we're in camp two and we surrender to Jesus, but we need to surrender to the Holy Spirit. Help us know what that looks like. Camp three, Jesus, we, we need to live in full surrender every day, not just on Sundays. So Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere.